All right. Welcome to Single Minded Conversations. I'm your host, uh, Jesse Single. A little bit of a tech snafu today. I didn't realize that I hadn't updated the app, so it wouldn't work. And a few emails and downloads later, we figured it out. Um, I'm a journalist. I'm the co-host of Blockchain Reported. That's sort of my main gig, blockchainreported.org. Check us out. I also have a newsletter, single-minded, jessiesingle.substack.com. This uh, little social podcast is sort of the cousin of that or the offshoot. And uh, as is usually the case, I'm mostly just going to take your questions today so we can talk about whatever. So feel free to get in the queue um, if you would like to ask a question. Mike, I'll get to you shortly. I just want to give a quick opening spiel on um, the response to this horrible Texas shooting. As often as is often the case, I'm sort of in terms of where I think I can add value. I'd maybe have more thoughts about like the online culture surrounding the event than the event itself. I'm not sure what to say other than that it's horrible. Um, but it was frustrating to me that as seems to happen whenever one of these events occurs, people immediately began spreading rumors about uh, the shooter or the event, and they went viral in their respective corners of the internet. So on the right. There was a rumor that I believe was seeded by 4chan, which likes to start a lot of rumors just for shits and giggles or sometimes to go after people, uh, that the kid was trans. They appeared to have just taken a photo of some other young trans-looking person and said that this was the person who did the shooting. And you saw a bunch of right-wing people spread the rumor that the kid was trans because... You know, what better way to own the libs and to point out that the person who killed a bunch of children was trans, I guess. Um, on the left, uh, thanks in large part to Owen Higgins, who's like, a, I think, a pretty bad faith actor. Um, he tweeted, basically, that uh, immigration and customs enforcement, that there's a risk uh, that they would be arresting the parents who gathered to find out if their kids were dead. Uh, so that's sort of, you know, whatever your thoughts on immigration, that's basically the most ghoulish thing imaginable. Owen had no evidence that was the case. Uh, I don't think he made it up. I think he just sort of maybe misinterpreted the fact that the guy who killed, uh, killed the shooter was from Customs and Border Patrol, which is a different agency entirely. Uh, so... I wish we could get past the point where when one of these events happens, a million rumors spiral off in every direction, a million false rumors that reinforce people's priors. You know, if you're conservative, I I still don't even understand exactly what it would have proven if the kid was trans on the right. On the left, this was just sort of another opportunity to attack ICE. And there's nothing wrong with attacking or criticizing ICE, but it just wasn't true. And when you think about the amount of fear that spreads, um, including potentially among the parents there. I, I just thought that was a really bad act to spread those rumors. And um, I wish people would be more careful. Uh, they won't be more careful. It, it doesn't seem like we're making any progress on this front. It doesn't seem like there's any movement toward like a basic understanding of like online rumor hygiene, for lack of a better word. Like y- you would hope that as the technology spread, people would adopt better norms uh, about how to use it. It just doesn't seem to happen, maybe because all the incentives are to, you know, spread whatever rumors your side is spreading or spread whatever information reinforces your prior beliefs. So uh, I just, I found that very disheartening to watch above and beyond the obviously bigger issue of the shooting itself. Um, So yeah, if anyone has any questions or comments, it's about that time. I'm trying to remember there was one other point I wanted to make about something. Um, 
Oh, the only other... Well, let me get to Pongo 2 first. This was not a substantive point on my part. Pongo 2, what is that? Um, hi, Jesse. Uh, yeah, so obviously that was... Uh, it's not good... Never good to have two of those things happening virtually back-to-back, and the fact that they both... The reaction to both of them was basically the same. Finding somebody to blame on the other side is not encouraging. Um, I guess... What I'm wondering about is what you think about. So there's obviously this huge problem with the right's ideological opposition to gun control and like a very large portion of the U.S. population's um, opposition to gun control. Uh, And like we've been talking about that for years. It does seem like uh, all of these, uh, all like whenever there's like this talking about talking about the problems with gun control, which are real in the states, nobody seems to want to talk about the fact that. Uh, over the last couple of years, we've had a massive reduction in enforcement of existing gun laws, um, both by, like, especially at, like, the prosecutor level saying that, like, refusing to prosecute people who are found illegally illegally bearing guns. Um, and it doesn't seem, and it seems as though that was much more likely to be implicated because these school shootings, et cetera, are rare events, and they tend to use a particular type of weapon, like these, uh, like these long-barreled rifles or automatic weapons. Um, but the vast majority of the uh, gun violence is happening is being is being done with uh, handguns, mostly in cities, and it's mostly over like pretty banal bullshit rather than this crazy bullshit. Yeah. Uh, it's, it seems as though it's, it's odd that people are evading any responsibility, any, any responsibility for that. Cause like our, our I, I think I'm, I think we should be much more optimistic about our ability to influence democratic, uh, prosecutors and mayors in big cities to actually enforce gun laws than we should be to, uh, like, you know, red state senators and essentially rotten boroughs, uh, to create like gun laws on like a federal level. Yeah, I mean, this is tricky because you're obviously right that that these sorts of most horrific mass shootings really account for, I don't know a way to phrase this, it doesn't sound weird or insensitive, but in terms of the total number of people killed by guns, both suicides and homicides, they are a tiny drop in the bucket. They're they're uniquely horrible when you have little kids getting shot. It's like hard to even say out loud, but you're right. And I think there's some genuine tension here because of the Part of the approach to reforming criminal justice has been to not overcharge people and to sort of err on the side of giving people another chance. And I think especially among like teenagers in cities, one of the surest ways to go from like a misdemeanor to a really serious charge that will have very big jail time attached is to have a gun on you. And not everyone who carries a gun shoots people. There are people in genuinely dangerous neighborhoods who feel uh, they need the guns for protection. That's an unfortunate, I think, cycle and why a lot of kids seek out guns. But um, I think there's some real tension here because if you – like you're saying, you would think the the clearest way to reduce gun violence would be to uh, enforce existing laws. But sometimes enforcing existing laws might mean – putting kids from pretty downtrodden backgrounds in, in jail for quite some time. Is that sort of what you were getting at? Uh, yeah, pretty much exactly. Like if, if you want to stop people from having guns, I don't see any way of doing it that doesn't impose consequences for having guns. And uh, the people who are carrying them around for self-defense are basically your entire population of shooters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, 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 you know, obviously, as always, I wish people would speak more plainly about that because I think it doesn't really work to uh, 
if you're going to propose a policy, you should you need to acknowledge what it would mean to implement that policy. Now, I don't think that what we're talking about here applies to like larger weapons or sort of certain semi-automatic weapons. As always, I'm not going to claim to know enough about guns to know like exactly where the line should be. I do think there's probably some laws you could pass that wouldn't really affect, you know, kids carrying a handgun for protection. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I think that's a perfectly fair point, and I, I do wish we'd speak. Uh, Jesse, like. I think we need to, if if we're going to talk about this, I feel like there needs to be like an actual conversation about like people carrying guns for protection, handguns for protection. That isn't an innocent thing. It's not helping anybody. That is the problem. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah. I mean, so for me, then that's like a, a, if you're talking about you, you pull over someone for something else and they have a handgun on them and what should happen to them, my, my uh, bleeding heart cries a little bit out that it, cries out a little bit that I, I, I would not want them to do significant jail time if the thing they were being arrested or investigated for was nonviolent. So I, I think it's genuinely tricky. Okay. Uh, but so I, I guess it's a question about like, so do you think that prisons have a role in society? And if they, if, if police and prisons don't have a, have a role in society, what is it other than preventing gun violence? Well, I mean, I think violence? they have a role in society. I'm just more, I, I want them to be filled more with people who've committed a violent crime. I understand the idea is someone who has a gun could commit a violent crime, but if, um, yeah, I, I frankly don't know what exactly the right answer here is here in that sort of scenario. Okay. Well, as you said, it's better if people talk, talk plainly about it, but yeah. um, I, I, I think that, yeah, I think real, I think realistically, like we have prisons for a reason and, uh, it's not a it's not a coincidence that in the nineties we drove the murder rate we drove the murder rate down while driving the prison population up like they serve a purpose. Thanks, partnership. Joe. Oh, I should say, I mean there was some I just on that last point, I, I don't want to just steal the last word. There's some debate among criminologists about the exact relationship between like how hard you prosecute stuff and the prison population, and I think um that that is a little bit more complicated than like you prosecute more people and you put more to jail and the crime rate goes down. I, I just think it's a little more complicated than that. But anyway, go ahead, Joe. Hey, Jesse. Um, obviously quite a somber one today. I uh, I guess I just start with the throat clearing that I, I definitely think that common sense gun control um, is the best way to, to stop this kind of thing. But I had a question about um, we have laws in, well, there's laws in lots of countries about the way that media can cover certain topics um, to try and prevent copycat incidents. So, for instance, um, uh, there's lots of restrictions on the way that media can cover suicide because we know that the suicide um, rate can spike after a, a high-profile suicide. I think that it's it's probably not a coincidence that these shootings seem to happen in these groups, um, you know, Buffalo and, and then the, the Texas shooting. I guess I'm wondering, could you see any way that the media could have, I suppose, some some restrictions on the way these things are publicised um, in order to, uh, I don't know, maybe stop some of these these repeat events. And again, preferencing, prefacing uh, that by saying that obviously, you know, common sense gun control is the, the main thing you'd want to do. But what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I just, I just think our First Amendment would be a huge obstacle to that. Um, and I'm not sure... You know, I do think the research on, like, suicide contagion – I should probably look into it more closely. I think it's fairly sound, and we have good theoretical reasons to think suicide contagion is real. And 
Maybe the same deal with copycat shootings. I, I think it's a little bit trickier there because copycat sh- uh, because mass shootings are much rarer than suicides, and it's like hard to know how many of them it's the case where they really just wouldn't have done it if someone else had it. There's obviously some examples of copycat serial killers and copycat mass shooters, but I, I just I don't know. I think whereas with suicide, it's a more impulsive act than people realize. Um, for situations like this or Buffalo, where there is a huge amount of planning and sort of buildup that appeared to go into them, although I guess we know less about the Texas one, I think I'm a little bit more skeptical that um, improper or irresponsible media coverage plays a causal role, if that makes sense. Yeah, I guess that's fair. Um, if you'll allow me a follow-up, I also... Sure. Uh, um, I was I was listening to you talk about the um, uh, New York Times article about hate crime statistics in, in part inspired by the Buffalo um, shooting, and I think you actually had a logical fallacy um, in in discussing that. So um, I think you you mentioned that the New York Times article points out that the majority of hate crimes are committed against black people, um, and it also points out the number of hate crimes and the uh, population sizes of different groups that are experiencing the hate crime, so Jewish people and um, Asian people. And I think that you you were critical that they didn't go a step further and actually say um, this is the, uh, you know, this is basically the number of hate crimes in proportion to these populations. And I think that that's actually statistically would be incorrect to do that because most of the time when we're looking at these situations, um, when we're looking at, say, I don't know, COVID um, death rates amongst Jewish people, uh, it, it makes sense because there's the number of victims in proportion to the population. But the way that hate crimes are recorded, uh, we're generally looking at a uh, the number of perpetrators or the number of incidents. So I, I know it's recorded differently in different places, but I think the Buffalo shooting was probably recorded as one single hate crime, even though there were 10 people killed. Um, Whereas you could have an incident, say, where you had, uh, I don't know, four teenagers spray paint a a swastika on a wall in a a, a southern town with no Jewish people. So in that situation, you might have four hate crimes recorded because per perpetrator, but, you know, zero victims. So uh, I guess I'd get your take on that. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I would just, I would just have to look more into it. My, my basic point was just that saying we have the most hate crimes targeting X group, uh, you know, without accounting for populations somehow doesn't make sense to me and seems misleading, but I get what you're saying that you could have a situation where one hate crime is committed by four people. I guess it depends on whether that'd be recorded as four hate crimes, but there's technically no victims other than people who are sort of terrified by it um i don't have an on-the-spot answer for you i got i got to think about that more i think it's a potentially fair point yeah sure uh, thanks for your time thanks Jeff. patrick what is up oh hey jesse can you hear me i can how's it going uh doing pretty well uh glad to see that you are soon to be a ps5 owner and will uh be wasting your life on elden Ring like the rest of the world i'm a little bit worried about that but um I should have done it in the winter. I don't know why I, I write as it's like nice out. Anyway, we'll see how that goes. I'm excited to play the game. My understanding is it's sort of a uh, historically important game, if that doesn't sound too stupid. Well, it dethroned, um, uh, whatchamacallit, the uh, shooters that uh, everyone in America plays, but apparently. Uh, so it is actually kind of important, at least in terms of sales. 
so I wanted to talk uh, away from the gun uh, control aspect, more to the kind of mental health side of it. So uh, some of the more details that are coming out about the shooter uh, kind of seem consistent with uh, your article that you uh, posted recently about kind of the shallow allyship uh, kind of stuff that comes out. Specifically, in some of the reports that are just coming out within the past couple hours, I've seen that uh, the person uh, kind of had like uh, health at home problems, lost a lot of weight, which is often consistent with kind of decreased mental uh, uh, status or worsening mental condition. He also apparently was engaging in self-harm uh, by uh, facial cutting, which is... I saw that. That was a gruesome detail. Yeah, that's uh, pretty... Uh, yeah, it's gruesome and it's that kind of thing. And I was wondering, in terms of actually doing something kind of productive about it, I know the kind of common response is that, well, we need to have kind of more access to healthcare, And I think that's true, but I don't necessarily know that people who kind of having access to healthcare necessarily solves a problem just because having access to healthcare means actually being using the access that you necessarily have to healthcare. And in terms of kind of identifying these people, like uh, forcing an 18 year old to go to therapy uh, is probably going to be as difficult as say forcing an 18 year old uh, to go to chores. They're going to do it if they want to do it. I think there's um yeah, I think there's something to this. I mean, this just gets to like the the thing Patrick's referencing is just a newsletter I had go up today about like uh, it's shallow allyship to, for example, pretend that schizophrenic people aren't at a heightened risk of committing violence because all the evidence suggests we are, and it's like rude to point out. I, maybe along those same lines, I think there's a lot of people who who ha- technically have access to this or that resource, but can't access it. They don't know how, or they don't don't want to. So I think, especially maybe in some like cities like New York. I'm not saying like our social services are perfect, but I'd I'd be curious to know what percentage of the time someone not accessing a given service, including mental health support, is the result of it literally not being available versus them not knowing about it or choosing not to go. That being said, there's obviously especially in places like unlike New York that don't have pretty good public transportation, um you know, there's access issues. I, I wrote in my book about how veterans uh, often don't access PTSD treatment because they can't get to the VA. Which, you know, if you live in a rural area without a car, but um, you know, I think I think what you're you're saying makes sense. So that's just repeat, repeating as a mantra: we need more mental health services. We need more mental health services. Might not be capturing the picture in its full complexity. I agree with, yeah, exactly that. And I guess my other kind of point is there's also kind of the ethical line of when we have identified someone who's a potential harm to themselves or others, at what step is the government able to kind of come in and do something about it? I think even before you get to that, we have to identify, was the government even identifying like this person in particular as a potential problem? Just from my work with kind of government individuals, different kind of departments are siloed off. So in the news reports, it said that cops were a presence around the house, but cops don't have the kind of medical training to be able to say, oh, this 18-year-old clearly looks like they might need kind of social services. And just in terms of referrals, other kind of stuff, I don't necessarily know why. Uh, I think in some jurisdictions, one one of the things that you do is when you know have a potential kind of problem property, you do uh, kind of inspections that are multi-agenced. So maybe having a kind of a social worker working with cops who can, uh, in terms of kind of violence, 
be able to de-escalate situations that cops don't necessarily have training on or be able to identify when kind of people have needs and services. There's still the question of when the people actually need to follow up with that, uh, where does the government step in? But I do think there's more kind of identifying and providing targeted services that can be done on the government's end. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense to me in theory. I just think there's so many cases where these kids could slip through the cracks. And, and just like, I think about the amount of deranged shit I see on Twitter every day and the amount of just like casual threats to oneself or to others and how off, how common that is. I It would just be really hard to get the balance right of like, you know, really targeting the people who are the biggest risk factors. But um it, it's important, obviously. I just it, it seems very difficult, and like you're saying, there's a big risk of casting too wide a net, and you know, uh, surveilling or even committing someone who isn't actually a threat. So I just I find that to be such a sort of difficult problem to even think about. Yeah, uh, I think most problems that need to be solved are kind of difficult, but that doesn't necessarily get us anywhere. Including closer. beating Elden Ring, the most <laughs> important problem of all. Well, you have to start working on your build, Jesse. I'm Otherwise, I don't want to be accused of being made less like people are accused on Musk on Twitter. <laughs> I'm looking at those tweets now. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Uh, anyway, those are fair points, Patrick. I appreciate the call. Matthew, what is going on? Others should feel free to jump in the queue, by the way. There's only a couple people in there now. Matthew, you're going to have to unmute yourself so we can talk. All right, I'm going to boot you, but get back in line and I'll get you. Oh, wait, the other person dropped out. All right, Tick, I'm going to make you the next caller. Matthew, get back in line and uh, unmute yourself. We'll be good. Teak, Tiki, Tiki Torch, whatever your name is. Go ahead. Hey, Jesse. I had a question along the uh, hate crimes line as well. They've never made much sense to me as far as they're kind of like terrorism charges. It seems like there's enough on the books already to charge people. And it's hard to see how one heinous crime is more heinous than another, you know, especially with the juxtaposition of the Buffalo spree and this one. Um, So, yeah, I don't know if you have you done much research into this and is it effective? What's the kind of purpose of it? Yeah, I haven't done much research into it. I think I'm I'm skeptical of it, of the idea that like two crimes should have vastly different punishments uh, based on sort of the motives. I also, I know that a lot of people who are in favor of hate crimes legislation also hold a, another position I am sympathetic to, which is that the death penalty doesn't really deter people. So I, I don't, you know, I don't see how it could be the case that the death penalty doesn't deter people, but having slightly beefed up penalties for hate crimes would deter hate crimes. So I I think overall I find them to be fairly symbolic. Um, I also like prosecutors and judges also have a fair amount of discretion usually, uh, which can be good or bad depending on the circumstances. But I just don't think there's that many instances where someone goes unpunished because of the lack of a hate crime law. And I'm generally for less punishment and more rehabilitation when, when possible, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, feel the same way. Yep. All right. Good question. AA, let's see if we can get you on now. Hello? Hey, how's it going? Hey, I wanted to ask 
about double standards in uh, calls to violence or perceived calls to violence. Um, you've noticed that a lot of people have been latching on to Tucker Carlson for this, uh, for the Buffalo shooting. Um, and I think that there's some truth to it. Uh, obviously, he's said a lot of great, great replacement type rhetoric. However, I mean, I've noticed a t- tons of calls to violence from the left, personally. Um, and it feels like there's not really, people don't take these in the same way. Now, it's true, currently, there's not the same amount of violence on the left, at least at the level of lone wolf shooters. However, I think there's a huge double standard here. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, well, so give me an example of the kinds of calls to violence you think you're seeing on the left. Well, I mean, if you follow any sort of communist type, you, you hear calls to violent revolution like all the time. Like, it's pretty consistent. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, there's that. I mean, for instance... Casual, guilla- guilla- casual mentions of guillotines and so forth. Exactly. I mean, if you, yeah, I, you know, you read Twitter, there's so many calls to violence. And, you know, now it's not being... Actually, people aren't generally doing it at the same rates. However, it seems to be a complete double standard in the way it's viewed. Like, the, the reasoning for Tucker, Car- Tucker Carlson here seems to be uh, he's talking about great replacement, which is the same thing this guy is talking about. And he's making it seem like we have no other option and that you have to do violence, which I think is in some way kind of true. I mean, it's I can get why you'd see that, but there's a complete whole group of other people. You're, you're saying it's true that he bears some responsibility? I think some. It's hard to yeah. say exactly how much. I agree with you that people are just pinning it on him and it's not fair. Um, but, you know, I think that you have to be more careful. He's not careful at all in my opinion to talk about this issue um but another thing i mean i was listening to the fifth column podcast um and they mentioned for instance i hadn't thought about until recently uh the the guy who tried to attack uh dave chappelle and how this is kind of played for laughs uh but you know really i mean i was i was thinking more about that one actually because um not to interrupt you but like if a you know, take whatever example you want. If a, if a feminist comedian got attacked on stage by a misogynist, it would be a week-long media event. That would include a lot of think pieces about the dangers of those uh, that ideology. So in that case, I, I totally think there's a double standard. Exactly, yeah. Um, on the, the Tucker thing is tricky. I mean, I think my view was basically, I think he said some horrible shit about immigrants. I think he has embraced this really loathsome conspiracy theory. Um you know, when Katie and I talked about it on the podcast, Glenn Greenwald pointed out that it's not like anyone who supports – just because you support an idea doesn't mean you support the idea of like seek, uh, carrying, getting, carrying out that idea violently, which is true. Yeah. I think like great replacement is like different from other theories because it's just – it's so inflammatory. Um the fact is the Buffalo shooter didn't mention Tucker Carlson, doesn't seem to have been an influence from him, and we know exactly what influenced him because, A, he told us, and I'm not saying we should always take a shooter at his word, but in this case, he mentioned the places where we know the shit's coming from. 4chan, um, I forget if it was Stormfront or another ultra-right uh, thing. So anyway, I, I, I overall agree with you. I think there's a double standard. I do think a lot of this is just moron Marxist-Leninist types on um, Twitter. Well, so. Yeah. Well, okay, but how about, for instance, right, fascism? People calling people fascists. To me, if I thought that people in my uh, government were fascists, you know, I would be compelled to take up arms against them. Right? Honestly, like if people, if I really believe that, I would fight. You know, for my, for my country. 
Yeah. No, I mean, I think, I think like, so if people think that and people are constantly saying fascism and like, if they really believe that, that is in the same way inflammatory to me anyway. It's like incitement. You're saying, I'm not saying that they actually are inciting. Like, it's, it's you're saying what's the difference? Either 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 the discourse gets poisoned to the point where people commit violence, or it doesn't. Yeah, it seems like there's not a, a, a systematic, a fair system of analysis here. It seems like people are saying, "Oh, it's inflammatory to talk about replacement." And I yeah, it's just in it's just in group out group stuff. When my when it's not even when my friends do it. It's when people yeah. on my approximate side, including like far left revolutionary wackos, do it. Yeah, I'm with you. I think we should always be opposed to. Um, to talk of violence, uh, yeah, I find it hard to argue with that. Sure. Okay. Good to talk to you. Thank you for the call, Matthew. What is up? Matthew, you got to uh, unmute yourself. All right. I will start to. Uh... Is that uh, very disappointing? I think that the uh, interface is still not great for muting and unmuting yourself. So maybe Matthew fell asleep or something. I have that effect on people sometimes. If no one else is in the queue, I'm going to uh, I'm going to start to wrap it up. Um, Katie and I just recorded a uh, premium episode of Locked Reported about this like amazing controversy among white nationalists, including Nick Fuentes, who is a uh, a real character. Oh, Jesse, can you hear yes, me? Yes, I can now. How's it oh, going? Oh shit! This calling app. Yeah, it can be a little bit. Uh... Yeah, sorry. No, no worries. Go ahead. Okay, so anyhow, uh, this is the the gun control thing is a thing I've thought about a whole lot over the last few years because I'm someone who grew up shooting guns uh, and have shot at gun ranges safely my whole life. And then three years ago, I was in D.C. on the way to brunch with one of my friends, and he got shot in the head by a stray bullet from a 19-year-old kid who was Holy shooting someone across the street. Shit, man. What what ha- did he die? What happened? No. He's he's in a wheelchair now. He's he's alive. He's okay. He's he's not not Oh, I did not want to lose that call. That I did, that wasn't me, dude. I hope I hope Matt can come back. He just dropped on his own. Uh shit. Hopefully he'll get back in the That's that was a horrible story. Uh it's not my fault. Let's uh take your call while we're waiting to see if Matt comes back. Hey, you're you're way too uh, low. I can't hear you at all. Uh, can you boost it anymore? Is that any better? Yeah, there we go. Uh, so basically, my question is: uh, Does FOIA always take like? Literally forever. It's so annoying. I've done very little foiling, but yes, it can take many, many months and sometimes longer. Is there any way? I guess do you know any uh, or do you just have to wait and see if when they send you another email saying it's going to take another X number of weeks? I think waiting and seething is the only option, but you could you could always send them an email just like politely asking, you know, for a timeline or why it's taking so long. I wouldn't be opposed to that. Or I, or I don't think that'd be a bad idea. That's all. Good luck. A wheelchair after getting shot in the head. Man, we're having all kinds of technical difficulties today. Uh, I don't quite know what's going on. 
Um, I might just wrap it up there. Oh, wait. I'm going to try to give Matthew one more chance. Come on, Matthew. Can you hear me now? There we go. Okay, you were saying your friend in the wheelchair, which is horrible. I'm sorry about that. Yeah. All right. So, anyhow, ever since then, I've thought about what policy would have prevented that. Short of, like, banning all guns and enforcing it through a fascist state. Yeah. And there's nothing that would have prevented it. Also, there's no amount of concealed carry or self-defense that would have prevented it either. And so what I've come down to is that it's all just about percentages. Because if you look at that list of other countries, other wealthy countries and how many mass shootings they have, for most of them, it's not zero. It's something that you have to live with when you have 350 million people in one country. But it's something that you want to minimize by basically making the guardrails as narrow as possible. And I think that that's the problem that people have is they want to come up with a solution that will make it never happen, like a solution that would have prevented what happened the other day. And there's nothing that would have prevented every single mass shooting. But there's a series of basic things like a minimum gun buying age of 21, a requirement to register every handgun you own with the local police department, the requirement to have a gun owner's license like a driver's license, and things like that. And so the Democrats need to just or the gun control advocates and Republicans and Democrats need to start with some really concrete, small things that will reduce the percentage chance it'll happen. Cause there's not any one thing they can do that'll stop at all. The point is to make it less likely. And you know, that's, that's kind of my take. Yeah. It's hard to argue with that. I will say like, I, I lived in DC. It was so much more dangerous than any other place I lived. It's the only place I saw someone shoot a gun at someone else, which is, I was, um, outside my house in Columbia Heights setting up for a Halloween party with some friends. And there were these two groups of kids, one across the street from us, one on our side. I saw a kid run across the street, pop off several shots at the other group, which was like terrifying. It was like 15 feet from me. But I, I've i lived in New York way longer. It's just way – seems like I'm sure there's statistics that might uh, prove I don't know what I'm talking about. But like everyone I knew in D.C. was victimized by uh, – some sort of crime or experienced one. Brian Boitler, another journalist, he was shot uh, during like a, a robbery. I got robbed. By, so anyway, uh, don't live in D.C. That's one of the gun control lessons, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I moved to Virginia. There you go. Safe, yeah. uh, no, what you're saying makes sense to me. I, I need to like look more into the polling on this because my sense is there's some pretty big disparities in which proposed reforms poll well. But of course, the other problem is like if you can't get a state legislature to pass something and state legislatures are often – Far to the right, uh, just because of the way districts are formed and stuff and who votes. Um, but, yeah, I want to look more into that question, sort of common sense gun controls. And, you know, I'm I'm a dirty lip, so everything you're saying to me about 21 and, and licenses and everything makes sense. So uh, I appreciate the call. Thanks. All right, everyone. There were some tech hiccups today, but I had a fun time. And I hope you did, too, despite the depressing subject. And I hope that if you like the show, you will uh, spread the word about it. Is it. Wait, is this new chat thing? Is this... Oh, it's like a public chat. Someone else type something in the public chat. I just want to see how this works. Do you guys have this little option uh, next to the a little the little two bubbles? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? I guess not. All right. Well, we'll figure that out later too. But uh, yeah, thank you guys for listening. If you like the show, I would just ask you to uh, spread the word to other people. You should yeah check out Blocked Reported. Our latest recorded premium episode is about an amazing controversy in the white nationalist community. Those uh, those wonderful people. And uh, yeah, I will uh, be doing this again soon. And thank you guys so much for tuning in. Farewell.